0: What is wisdom? Is it just the cumulative knowledge that we've cobbled together over the years? Is it the front porch pontifications of our grandparents who tell us what they did and how they did it in their day? Or is it something more than that? What is wisdom and how do we acquire it? That's today's topic on the Zach Evans Podcast, and I am so humbled that you would join us. Thank you so much for listening. Now, before we get into today's episode, just want to give you a few reminders quickly. Uh, the first is please like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram if you haven't already. Uh, the second would be to make sure that you've pressed the follow button on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whichever one is your preference. And please, as many of you have already, I think we've got like 38 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, which is great. Um, but if you haven't done that, we have, probably, we have way more listeners than that. Uh, who listen on that platform. So if you are listening, jump down, just scroll down just a little bit and hit five stars. And if you take just a few seconds and leave us a a review, it doesn't have to be very long, just be a couple of sentences, uh, that would be incredibly helpful. That helps us get found and helps more people enjoy the show. Also, uh, if you're interested in donating to the podcast, uh, we have something called Monthly Supporters, And there's a link in the description that you can click on that takes you to that page, and you can sign up to support the show monthly. And so thankful for the growing number of people who have done that, and just that that anybody would be willing to do that uh, to help the show along is really amazing. And really, this whole process has been very, very cool. You know, we're about, I think, I mean, we're coming up on seven months into this. I think this is the 25th episode. I just realized that, so... That's a milestone right there. I, I was listening to a, a podcast, ironically, the other day, and they were talking about how few podcasts make it past, I think it's the first three episodes. It's like most never make more than three episodes. And then of the ones who make more than three, only 1% make it past 20 or 25 or something like that. So either this is the last one or... <laughs> or uh, we're hitting a very important milestone. So it's really amazing that there's an appetite for this, and I'm just so humbled and so thankful that anybody would listen. So with all of that out of the way, let's dig into the book of Proverbs, also known as the book of Wisdom, to learn what wisdom is and how we can acquire it, and specifically why it's important to view wisdom as insurance against the difficulties of life. And I'll explain what I mean. But I pray this episode finds you well, and that it's a blessing to you. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 7. We're going to have a Bible study, We kind of jump around. I don't know that this will be the most cohesive Sunday school lesson of all time. But hopefully it will be helpful. We're going to talk about wisdom, and what it is, what it isn't, what it can do, how to get it, that type of thing. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 7. Really, we could read the whole chapter very famous proverb. It says, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. <laughs> I love that. It's <laughs> a so saying straight to the point. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. That word principle means chief or most important. And uh, I believe the underlying word, of course, means first in place. So it's first place. Now, you have to qualify that, that this is not a doctrinal statement in the book of proverbs this is a proverb it is a jewish colloquialism that was used in the broader culture it's a saying like we have sayings like if you know the early bird gets the worm is not a doctrine right it's just something that we say that represents some type of an embodied truth within our culture this is a similar thing but God preserved that for us so there's a lot of wisdom in this phrase wisdom is the principal thing Therefore, get wisdom, and with all that getting, get understanding. Solomon, of course, felt that this was important enough to be included in the book of Proverbs as he collected them, and I think, obviously, he's correct. Now, can we literally say that wisdom is the principal thing? The New Testament might disagree with that to some extent. The New Testament might say that love is the principal thing. So Paul, in 1 Corinthians, where he says, uh, Now abideth these three, faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is charity. So again, we have to qualify these statements. One thing that I see people do sometimes when they read Psalms, for example, or Proverbs is they read a phrase and without really corroborating that verse with other verses in scripture, they pull it out and make a doctrine out of it. And we don't want to do that. And you don't want to do it with this verse either, where you say the Bible says that wisdom is the most important thing. So well, we have, we would have to substantiate that with other passages. When you understand what this is, it's a Jewish colloquialism that made its way into scripture because the Holy Spirit chose to preserve it, then we understand how to kind of interpret it. But this shows, of course, the elevated station that the idea of wisdom, the virtue of wisdom, you might say, had in Jewish culture, and the Holy Spirit honors that, Solomon honors that by preserving that in the book of Proverbs. So we can do the same thing. I'll say this, wisdom is not revered in our culture. was the last time that you heard somebody talk about the importance of wisdom? That's just not in our vocabulary as a culture. We are a success-driven culture, essentially. Everything is viewed through the paradigm of success, not through the paradigm of wisdom. And this is something you've got to understand when you read the Bible, because I was talking with uh, a missionary to China the other day, and, um, and uh, we were talking about the difference in cultures and, and how it affects the way that you present the gospel to people, right? Because people are coming from a completely different place epistemologically, the way that they view truth, as being acquired, or just what's important and relevant in their life because of what their culture has told them is important or relevant in their life. And in the East, let's say, there is a honor-dishonor culture. So it's about honor. There's a big emphasis on ancestry and your ancestors, even to the point to where ancestors become worshiped. That's how far they go with this idea of ancestry and honoring your ancestors. So, one of the worst things that can happen to you in that culture is you be dishonored. Um, and that's different than, you might say, guilt or shame. So we live in like an innocence-guilt culture, like you're either guilty or you're innocent. And we say you're innocent until proven guilty, that's Western culture. Eastern culture is you're either honorable or dishonorable. And they're not, that's not the same thing. The Bible is more so on the honorable-dishonorable scale, does that make sense? So. When you read the Bible, for example, and you see, okay, the things that are elevated as important, it's within a different framework than the one that we have as Western-minded individuals. And you have to be careful when you approach the Bible with that Western empirical mindset and you force the Bible into the way that we have you know, interpreted truth and life for a long time. It's like, we need to do the reverse of that. <laughs> we need to view the Bible as such view it as the word of God and understand the context in which it was written. So, for example, this verse shows us the elevated station that wisdom had in Jewish life. We can compare that. Now, here's what we might do with a Western mind. We might look at that and say, oh, that's cute. But if we look at it through Eastern eyes to some extent, we would understand that. I mean, this represents the best Jewish knowledge. The most important thing in the Jewish mind, as represented by this colloquialism that was spread out throughout society was wisdom. You better be wise. And that is to some extent a rebuke of our culture because what we've said is no, 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 wisdom is not that important. What's important is success. And I'll even sacrifice being seen as wise or even honorable or what, I don't care about any of that. As long as I'm innocent technically under the law and I'm not guilty technically under the law, right, I can achieve success and do what I want to do. So we need to learn to change our mindset on these things. And so we need to understand the preeminence that wisdom is supposed to have in our lives. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And the title is going to be, Wisdom is Insurance. That sounds really weird, but it's true. Wisdom is Insurance. So I want to give you the definition of wisdom. Listen to this. This is really long. But the fact that this is in a dictionary is so incredible. That, I mean, this is like, listen to this. Webster's 1828 Definition of Wisdom. He says, it's the right use or exercise of knowledge, the choice of laudable ends and of the best means to accomplish them. This is wisdom in act, effect, or practice. If wisdom is to be considered as a faculty of the mind, it is the faculty of discerning or judging what is most just, proper, and useful. And if it is to be considered as an acquirement, it is the knowledge and use of what is best most just, most proper, or most conducive to prosperity or happiness. Wisdom in the first sense, or practical wisdom, is nearly synonymous with discretion, he says. It differs somewhat from prudence in this respect. Prudence is the exercise of sound judgment in avoiding evils. Wisdom is the exercise of sound judgment either in avoiding evils or in attempting good. He says prudence, then, is a species Of which wisdom is the genus. That's an amazing definition and people were way smarter back then than they are today. I just want to say that. But we could kind of boil that down and say that wisdom is the practical application of knowledge. Wisdom is the practical application of knowledge. Therefore wisdom is not purely knowledge. So we have to be careful who we describe as wise. So we might have a teacher, someone who is able to explain something to us very, very well, and we describe them as wise. That would be incorrect if that knowledge is not paired with a life that expresses that knowledge in action. So the person who embodies knowledge and acts it out would be considered wise. But it's not purely knowledge that makes someone wise. Charles Spurgeon said this, wisdom is the right use of knowledge to know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great as a knowing fool, (laughs) but to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. That's exactly right. I remember I was sitting at the mission. I'm about to get up and preach, and I'm sitting next to this man. I don't remember his name, and I had just finished reading Walter Isaacson's biography of Einstein. And it's a fascinating book. It's absolutely incredible. And as Isaacson usually does, he focuses, focuses a lot on the work of the individual. And he wants to understand them through what they produced and what, their, what they did in um, their life and their accomplishments. And so I'm talking to this guy. We got to talking about, you know, Einstein's theory of relativity. I know nothing hardly about it except what I've read in the book. And I mentioned something about it. I'm like, it's really incredible when you think about it. And I mentioned some part of it. And he said, well, that's right. He said, but it's better explained like this. And he gets a piece of paper, and he folds it in half. And he takes a pencil. And he pokes the pencil through the paper. And he explains general relativity to me using this paper and pencil. This guy's in the homeless shelter. And it was a fantastic explanation. And it made perfect sense. I was like, wow. So I started asking him questions. I'm like, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? I mean, this guy had knowledge. He had a good working knowledge of Einstein's theory of relativity. That's pretty amazing. And this guy's in a homeless shelter in Gainesville, Georgia. And we've had a lot of knowledgeable guys come through that shelter. One of the mistakes that you can make as a preacher when you get up and you begin preaching to them is to assume, especially if you're younger, these guys are stupid and don't know anything. Wrong. Wrong. Some of them are very knowledgeable. Some of them are very knowledgeable about the Bible. Some of them have accomplished more in life than you have. Some of them at one point in their life, someone would have said, they're very wise. That man, unfortunately, was not living a very wise life. We would not describe him as a wise man, but he was extremely knowledgeable. Now, one thing that happens to somebody like that sometimes is what they know becomes a stumbling block to change and they don't really want to change or reinvent their life because they use that knowledge as a shield to prevent other people from convincing them of the truth. And so sometimes, as Spurgeon said, the most dangerous type of fool is a fool with knowledge. That is definitely true. You can come across those people when you're soul winning, that you just can't get anything through to them because they're so knowledgeable. They know so much about so many things that they won't let you tell them anything. So you're not wise because you know a lot, Wisdom is knowing how to use the knowledge that you have. For example, if we compare knowledge and wisdom, knowledge is theoretical. Wisdom is practical. Knowledge knows, that's deep, write that down. Wisdom has done. Knowledge has heard about it. Wisdom has been there and done that. Got the keychain and the t-shirt. Knowledge can tell you about it. Wisdom can show you how to do it. So... um, I had to install my own water heater. I didn't have to, okay, but I'm cheap, all right? So our house exploded a few years ago, and uh, it just exploded again. (laughs) Our house explodes every three years is essentially what I'm telling you. And so we had water damage all throughout our kitchen, and then somehow or another, our water heater at the same time decided to explode as well. So it explodes. And I don't want to pay the $250 to install the thing. I'm like, that's ridiculous okay so I'm like I will do it I will do this so I bought the water heater right I bring it home and then I go on to YouTube right because I have no wisdom I have no knowledge at all but I I started researching okay how do you do this you know and what I had to do is because I don't have any practical working knowledge of plumbing I had to go the very rookie route of using like the shark bite things. I don't know if you know what those are, right? So you don't use the adhesive or any of that kind of stuff. I'm like, I don't want to do none of that, okay? By the way, that's why my house exploded the second time, because my grandfather used the wrong kind of glue. That was going to be me, okay? But we're not going to do that. So I spent way more money than probably it would have cost to have a friend do it, right, and I buy him dinner or something. And I install the thing, but I have no idea what I'm doing. So here's the thing. You should not ask me to help you put in a water heater because even though technically I know how to do it once <laughs> I know how I did it. I have no actual working knowledge of plumbing at all. So I might even have, you might even have a little bit of knowledge in an area, but that doesn't make you wise in that area. You might even be able to say, I've done this thing. Okay. But at what level? Cause there's levels to wisdom. That's why the Bible says that a bishop should not be a novice. It shouldn't be a novice. A novice has a working knowledge. A novice has done something else he wouldn't be called a novice. But the point is you have a lack of experience that's a liability. Um, I've preached this to young people, this idea, and I always tell them, I said, look, you know, you are not wise. It's literally impossible for you to be wise. You, You can't be wise because you've done nothing. You haven't done anything. You have to do something to be wise. You haven't put the knowledge that you have to use yet. And essentially what adulthood is, is adulthood is converting your knowledge into wisdom. That's what it is. And how successful you are in doing that determines how successful you are in life. So how good are you at acquiring knowledge? How efficient are you at that? And then how good are you, how good are you at converting that knowledge into wisdom? Like that's essentially life, right? There's some people who they really struggle to acquire knowledge. So maybe again it's that illusion of brilliance, you know, that feeling of well, I already know everything so I can't be I can't be taught. Okay, well then you're really gonna struggle to be wise because you're unable to acquire the knowledge that you need, the raw material that wisdom is made out of. You have to be a student. You absolutely have to be a student, a constant student. And the the people that I have noticed that tend to think that they know the most are the people who study the least. They just don't study like they should. Uh, The best way to become ignorant is by learning and by study. But you have to have the raw materials out of which wisdom is made. And that's knowledge. So you have to be good at acquiring knowledge. And if your pride won't let you do that, that's a problem. One of the biggest stumbling blocks or reasons why people don't become wise is because they're too prideful to acquire new knowledge. That's a problem. Because then you don't have the materials out of which wisdom is made. But adulthood is converting the knowledge that you have and that you're gaining into wisdom. Doing all the things that you've been taught all these years and then, of course, continuing to teach yourself as you move forward. All right, so here's one way to view wisdom. And this doesn't conflict with what I'm saying because, of course, wisdom is a practical application of knowledge. But one thing that one way that we have to think about wisdom is you can't be trying to acquire it right when you need it. Right? You can't wait for the impetus in your life like, boy, you really need wisdom about this to then go get it. That's not how it works. You have to always be gaining knowledge, taking the raw materials of what you've learned, and then converting that practically in your life to become incrementally more wise over time so that when the impetus comes into your life, you're more wise than you would have been otherwise. <laughs> you're more wise than you would have been. That was uh, not funny. So uh, here's, how, here's how I think we should view wisdom. I think partially we should view wisdom as insurance. So until the like, Affordable Care Act, you couldn't wait to get insurance until you had a health issue, right? You can't just wait and be like, oh man, my arm's broken. I got to go get health insurance. It's like you needed health insurance before because that health insurance wouldn't cover a pre-existing condition. So the same is true with wisdom is you can't be like, holy cow, you know, uh, my marriage is completely a wreck. It's absolutely a wreck. And um, so I definitely need some wisdom in marriage. It's like the time to get that wisdom was a while ago. Now, we can still do something, that's fine, but it's going to be way harder than it was. And so we have to view it as you're trying to gain wisdom before you need it in the most critical areas of life. It's insurance against the future. It's protection. It's something that you store now and get out later when you need it. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt said this. He said, nine-tenths of wisdom is to be wise in time. That is so good. Nine-tenths of wisdom is to be wise in time. If you're wise too late, it means nothing. You can only teach someone else, which is good. You should do that. What about you? What about your marriage? What about your kids? What about your life? You need to be wise in time. That's why the Bible talks about he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. You shouldn't have to hurry to get the knowledge and the wisdom that you acquire. That's a lack of preparation on your part and mine. Um, He said that his entire foreign policy, Roosevelt said, was based on the exercise of intelligent foresight and of decisive action sufficiently far in advance that any likely crisis would make it improbable that we would run into serious trouble. He says, my entire foreign policy was based on the idea of you have to be wise beforehand. You have to have a good working knowledge of the thing, practical wisdom of the thing, before the problem shows up. So he viewed wisdom as insurance. Of course, the Bible says twice in Proverbs, a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. So the simple eventually realizes the same thing that the prudent man realized. The difference is the time gap between the two realizations. And again, we see the difference between wisdom and prudence, by the way, as Webster defined, prudence is the avoidance of evil, wisdom is the avoidance of evil, and the application of good. So um, we have to store up wisdom. Um, Let's look at Proverbs 1 and verse 20. We're not going to read the whole thing for sake of time, but I love this because wisdom is personified here as a woman who's in the city crying out into the streets, essentially saying, hey, whoever wants to be wise, come unto me and I'll make you wise. She's crying out. Verse 20, wisdom crieth without, she uttereth her voice in the streets. So wisdom is there. She's available. She's basically screaming out whoever wants to be wise. You can be wise. I want you to look at Proverbs 2 and verse 7. So wisdom makes us offer. We move into the next chapter, which isn't directly connected to the previous one, but we can take the principle. It says, He layeth up, the wise man, he layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous, speaking of God. So God does this for them. He lays it up for them. Think about that. That phrase lay up means to hoard or to reserve. So God hoards up wisdom for the righteous man. So there's that idea, again, of reserving more than you need, right? Wisdom is an emergency fund. It's a rainy day fund. That's what it is. So wisdom is insurance, and you have to take out the policy now instead of waiting until you need it because it won't be there. Proverbs 128, this is wisdom speaking. So here's the thing. Wisdom's crying out in the street. Hey, be wise, be wise, be wise. Problems are coming. Difficult times are coming. You better get some wisdom Come unto me, and I'll help you. Two seven. God is laying it up and reserving it For the righteous man, a surplus of wisdom to help him. But these people, they don't respond to the call to wisdom. So what happens? Verse 20, let's see, Proverbs 1 28. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. That's wisdom speaking. So if you get to the point where your problem actually manifests in your life and I was crying out to you the whole time, God laid up and reserved. He hoards all of this wisdom for you, but you don't access it in time because you think that you don't need it. Like, by the way, who are you and who are I to know exactly what I need? Like that requires an amazing foresight to know what you're going to need. So when God says, "Listen, I have hoarded wisdom for you, come and get it. Then you better go get it. So like we should be running at God's reserve of wisdom like, you know, the people in the Hunger Games are running at the cornucopia. Like that's the way that we should view it, but we don't. So then wisdom says, they shall call upon me, but I will not answer. Then she says, they that seek me early, or excuse me, they shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. So think about that. Like, what's your definition of early? What's your definition of Early. So when you hear the call to wisdom, which by the way, is this morning, I'm standing in her place, calling out to you, telling you, you need wisdom. This is a call to me as well. I need wisdom. This is the impetus to go get the wisdom. And then when your problem starts to creep up, you'll go to wisdom and say, glad I'm here early. And she'd be like, no, you're late. Like you're way late. So it's definitely a problem. All right, moving on. It's kind of disjointed. But the next thing I want to talk about is the first qualification for wisdom. What is the first qualification to be a candidate for wisdom? I'd say the first one is honesty. Honesty. A dishonest man cannot be wise. He cannot be wise. It's impossible. You must be able to be honest with yourself if you hope to gain wisdom. Thomas Jefferson said, Honesty is the first chapter in the book of wisdom. Honesty is the first chapter in the book of wisdom. You must first admit you don't have wisdom to get it. The first qualification of wisdom is the admission that you don't have it. It's really annoying when you're around somebody who thinks that they're wise when you know that they're not. It's very, very annoying. The first step in gaining wisdom is realizing that you don't have it. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. You won't ask for wisdom that you think you already have. You won't go to God for his giant, you know, hoard of wisdom and say, God, I lack wisdom. If you think you already have it, he says that give it to all men liberally and upright of thought and it shall be given him. So we have to be honest. If we seek to be wise, Socrates said, the only true wisdom is in knowing, you know, nothing. The only true wisdom is in knowing, you know, nothing. Lucius Aeneas of Seneca. He said, no man was ever wise by chance. Love that. No man was ever wise by chance. That's true. It's work. That's what it is. Wisdom is work. There was a lady in our church at one time that she said, she said, my husband has the gift of wisdom. My husband has the gift of wisdom. It's like, okay, I bet he tells you that all the time. (laughs) Now, sweetheart, listen, we have to do what I was saying because after all, I have the gift of wisdom. Wisdom is not a gift. It's just not. Wisdom is not a gift. Um, Wisdom is something that is earned. I mean, how do you apply something in your life practically and then describe it as a gift? You know what I mean? It's like maybe you're more predisposed to acquiring knowledge and converting it into wisdom, and there's certain people who are that way. That's probably a function of your honesty as a person, most likely. Francis Bacon said, Silence is the sleep that nourishes wisdom. Silence is the sleep that nourishes wisdom. Wisdom. So the first qualification for this wisdom is honesty. I have to realize that I need it. Secondly, let's talk about where to find it. Where do we find wisdom? Proverbs one twenty through 23, we see wisdom crying out in the streets. Think about that. Wisdom is up on the top of the city. She's apart from everyone else, crying down to the masses, saying, won't you be wise? What that means is part of what this proverb is trying to teach us is wisdom is not found in the masses. Wisdom is not found in the masses. Um, You know, we don't believe that. Like we we believe in, what's the, what's the phrase? We believe in, um, you know, like the idea of common sense, right? Well, if sense was common, everybody would have some, right? But that's the idea again of like this societal wisdom. Well, we've kind of got it all figured out or whatever. It's like, No, so wisdom is always pictured as a person who's up on the mountain, afar from everybody else, learning something, receiving a, a, a revelation from God. Like, that's the idea. Wisdom here is away from everybody else, separated from everybody else. And part of the qualification for any one of those people getting wisdom is they have to leave the masses, leave the ignorant masses to become wise. So again, this is the idea of sanctification. I have to sanctify myself from the worldly masses to find wisdom. It's one of the reasons why the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because, by the way, it's the fear of the Lord that causes us to depart from evil, the Bible says. So wisdom is by herself. She's seeking others, but they don't wish to be found. Um, I, I believe that we love our ignorance. We love our ignorance. It provides us with so many things so many excuses. I think about somebody that, um, can I say this, I don't know. Uh, Somebody that I, so there's someone who, someone I know who loves to fall back when they fail on the fact that they aren't really investing the amount of time and effort that they would need to become good at the thing, right? So it's like, hey, no, no, I don't, I don't expect to be good. I don't try. That's not a virtue. <laughs> that's not a virtue. We do the same thing with our ignorance. Like, oh, I, I don't know anything about that. I, I mean, I've never studied that. I mean, I've never looked... I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not a reader. We do that kind of stuff. I'm not a reader. I just, I just don't. It's like, that's not a virtue. And it's not an excuse either. It's not. So I don't get to say, hey, you know this thing that I'm really called to be, that I'm supposed to be, that I'm obviously not being... It's just because of this little old thing right here. No big deal. Like, who cares? Right? It's just because I'm not a reader. Maybe you should be a reader then. Like, maybe you should just do the thing. Maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe you should stop handicapping yourself. In golf, we call it sandbagging. People are like, oh, you know, I just telling not. and I just not very good, you know, whatever. It's like, listen, you have all the capability that you need to be the person that you're supposed to be, period, end of story. That's it. There's there's zero excuse whatsoever for me not being the person that I'm supposed to be. But we love our ignorance. We delight in our scorning of others. That's easier to do. As opposed to becoming wise myself, I tear down the institution of wisdom. That's, That's what we do. So it's easier to tear down the people in your life that are actually wise, and therefore you destroy the ideal of wisdom, and then there's nothing to aim at then you don't have to become wise. The compulsion to become wise goes away because you've destroyed wisdom herself. So we delight in our scorning of those who are wise because it makes us feel powerful and in control. But we will never have wisdom if we don't turn at her reproof. We will never have all of the side benefits of a wise heart and mind if we continue to go with the simple masses. A couple of things about wisdom we find that wisdom... In chapter 2, where she cries out and is begging these people to take wisdom, it comes from the Lord in verse 6. It has to be asked for in verse 3. It has to be sought after in verse 4. So it's from the Lord, it has to be asked for, and it has to be sought after. So we're not going to be wise by chance. He was right. Proverbs 8, 11 says that wisdom is more precious than rubies. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. In May of 2012, there was a 32-carat Burmese ruby. And, uh, and a diamond ring that was part of the collection of someone called Lily Safra, one of the richest women in the world, and it was sold at an auction. The pre-auction estimate for this ring was 3 to $5 million for a ring. But the final price ended up being $6.7 million for a ruby ring. It is believed to be the most expensive ruby ever sold. Proverbs says that wisdom is more precious than rubies. Next, you will want to have wisdom. (laughs) You will wish that you had wisdom. There's a story about a a proud young man who came to Socrates asking for knowledge. And he walks up to the muscular philosopher and he says, Oh great Socrates, I come to you for knowledge. Socrates, of course, recognized a pompous numbskull when he saw one. And so he led the young man through the streets and then into the sea and then chest deep into the water. He then asked the young man, he says, what do you want? And the man says, knowledge, oh, wise Socrates. So Socrates put his strong hands on the man's shoulders and he pushed him under the water. Thirty seconds later, Socrates lets him up. What do you want? He asked the young man. Wisdom, the young man sputtered. Oh, great and wise Socrates. Socrates pushed him under again. Thirty seconds pass. Thirty-five, forty Forty. Socrates lets him up. The man's gasping. What do you want, young man? Between the heavy, wheezing, labored breaths, the young man says, knowledge, oh, wise and wonderful. (laughs) Before he could finish, Socrates jams him under the water again. Forty seconds pass, 50 seconds pass, lets him up. What do you want, young man? He says, air, air, I want air. Socrates says, when you want knowledge, like you just wanted air, you'll have it. When you want knowledge, like you just wanted air, you'll have it. That's true. A few things we got to go. Wisdom provides. Wisdom learns from the mistakes of others. Wisdom learns from the mistakes of others. Fools are determined to make do themselves. Fools are determined to make do themselves. A wise man learns from the mistakes of others. Nobody lives long enough to make all the mistakes themselves. A wise man learns by the experience of others. An ordinary man learns by his own experience. A fool learns by nobody's experience. Proverbs 2, 10 through 22, we see the rewards of wisdom and the consequences of its counterpart, foolishness. We see that wisdom is pleasant to the soul. It preserves and protects from the evil man and from the strange woman. The wicked who have forsaken wisdom are cut off from the land while the wise man remains the bible says proverbs 3 we find all kinds of things about wisdom it brings us long life and peace it brings us into good favor with god and man it tells us of course to trust in the lord with all our heart and acknowledge him in all of our ways it tells us verse 7 never to think of ourselves as wise because all wisdom is borrowed from god anyway like paul said what have you that you did not receive what do you have that wasn't given to you Verse 10, he says, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. It brings plenty. Verse 13, it brings happiness. Verses 14 and 15, wisdom is better, he says, than silver and gold or rubies. Even in all the things you can imagine are not better than wisdom. He says, wisdom brings pleasantness and peace. It gives us life and grace. It keeps us from falling. It brings contentment and safety. It does right by others. It doesn't, in verse 30, I love this, make unnecessary enemies. How many times do we have strifes and tumult in our life that is caused by our own ignorance of the situation? Whereas if a wise person approached that, it would mitigate most of the damage. Wisdom brings glory in verse 35. I'll finish with this. Proverbs 8, 34, Blessed is the man that heareth me watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. Wisdom is something that is incrementally gained on a daily basis. So I could ask myself, what have I done today to be more wise than I was yesterday? There's a wise man who said, compare, don't compare yourself to other people. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday. That's exactly right. Pride is the opposite of wisdom, Proverbs 13.10. Only pride cometh only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Wisdom can be found with men. Proverbs thirteen twenty. What ways can I more so walk with wise men? And then Job thirty two nine, just a parting thing to think about, is that not all great men are wise. Job's friend was right about that. Not all successful men are wise. And we can kind of end where we began, which is we shouldn't approach the Bible with this Western mind and say, well, the proof of wisdom in life is success it is not there are plenty of people that society would say they are a failure who are more wise than all of the successful people put together if you want proof of that I've said this a few times just read the books of those who are successful and look for the wisdom a lot of times there is none I've read them a lot of times they don't know why they're successful and they honestly can't tell you and it took them 300 pages to try and they failed they don't know why sometimes it's they were fortunate they worked really really hard and they made it there's somebody who worked harder than them more talented than them and they didn't make it Solomon said time and chance happen to them all I'm not explaining everything that way that's not true if you work hard you got a much better chance than those who don't it's hundred percent accurate but you try to quantify your success that's a difficult thing to do it's even more difficult to quantify wisdom in some cases so I have to be the kind of person who defines it God's way and who applies it in my life, God's way. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed that, make sure to leave five stars, like, rate, and share the podcast. You can also find us on social media at Zach Evans Podcast. God bless.